welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast with Mackenzie and Micah. Last time we were talking about the book of Revelation because we had a listener request on it. And this time, following on from that, we're going into the Lamb's War, which uh, is a section in our book. And also used to be the name of Micah's blog, or might still be the name of Micah's blog. I'm not sure. It used to be. Okay. Um, And so clearly that's a topic Micah likes. Um, Do you want to introduce it? Sure. Well, so in our last episode, we talked a bit about the book of Revelation. And I was I was really having to discipline myself not to talk about the Lamb's War because the idea of the Lamb's War is so, like, it's so, it is completely derived uh, from the book of Revelation. Um, and the idea of how we follow Jesus in this world and how we, um, how we participate in God's, in, in God's war against evil, that God is actively moving against uh, the the false the false gods the false powers the false rulers who uh, exploit the creation destroy the earth uh, mistreat the people and uh, live in greed and confusion um, I think anyone who believes in God has to has to believe that God cares about these things and that God does not intend for us to be abused and exploited and confused forever. And the book of Revelation uh, lays out what it looks like to uh, participate in this in this in the story of revelation and transformation. And uh, a central image in the book of Revelation is the image of the Lamb. Uh, and the Lamb, the Lamb is a, is a symbol for Jesus, um, and it's, it's a potent symbol that works very well for Jesus. And there's so many layers to it. I won't even get into get into it. But like, there are lots of layers to the symbol. Um, but Jesus as the Lamb is this. Def- I think, as Mackenzie said in the last episode, is, is this defenseless creature. I didn't actually say it in the last episode. Oh, we we just talked too much before this episode. We we read the chapters out loud. Yeah. Is what happened. Um, so, and it's during the reading. Yeah, but so the Lamb is this defenseless creature uh, that uh, somehow it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, it is a defenseless creature that conquers the world. Um, and it's it's a it's it's a, it's a symbol for it's an image of it's a metaphor of uh, Jesus's way of nonviolent love that conquers evil and conquers sin and conquers death. Um, I want to read just a little snippet uh, from the Book of Revelation where it talk in this one of many places where it talks about the Lamb, but just to give you an idea. And I think for those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, um, you will hear echoes. Uh, of the Old Testament in this uh, and throughout the book of Revelation. Uh, there's immense resonances with the Old Testament as it, as it, re- as it uh, references uh, all the prophetic works in many other places. It says, and this, by the way, is from uh, Revelation seven fifteen through 17. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence they shall hunger no more, neither thirst nor any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And this, the, the they in this passage are those who have uh, been martyred, who have died in the service of Jesus in the world. Um, and so you, you could say, uh, this, this is how God will treat uh, his veterans. 
those who have died in service of truth and love and transformation. So bringing it to real life, um, in the book that we're reading, they point out that to early friends, the Lamb's War wasn't this like abstract theological idea. It was this reality that they were experiencing um, through conviction. And I think we've all experienced conviction at some point when we uh, know that what we're doing is not right. And so like for early friends, that conviction looked like staying away from oaths and military service and paying tithes and superfluous fashion and dishonest dealings. Um, and so that kind of brings around to what does that look like nowadays? Or what, what things do we feel convicted about our participation in the way that the world is organized? And I would point out, too, uh, you know, that list of things that Mackenzie said, I think, is more from a quietist perspective. But, like, from, from, from the early Quaker perspective, uh, the Lamb's War looked like actively confronting, uh, actively confronting people who were teaching false doctrine, mm-hmm. actively confronting... Uh, well, the tithe thing was certainly at the beginning because they got thrown in jail for not paying tithes. Exactly. Actively confronting the powers and the authorities who were oppressing the poor and who were, uh, who were po- posing as, as followers of Christ, but in fact were taking advantage of his people. Um, the, the, lambs, the lambs were, I think, uh, and this is one, one thing that attracts me to it, is it's an engaged Christianity. It's a Christianity that says uh, the pain and suffering of the world our responsibility and there's an alternative to it and we've experienced this alternative and we have a responsibility and invitation in Christ to help uh, spread that love and joy around and some of that some of that spreading love and joy around you know for those who like living in darkness the light is painful and when we when we start spreading love for people to people who are doing evil it's going to it's going to look uncivil it's going to look uh disruptive and problematic and offensive because those who those who are used to living in darkness hate the light um just something in the course of that you you mentioned um tearing down like oppressive structures and things and it just made me think of what was going on at the time with the early friends and um the close association people often have if they know about early friends with like the levelers and the diggers Mm -hmm. And so that just makes me want to put out a shout for the book, um, The World Turned Upside Down, mm-hmm. which is about that era and, and has a whole lot about all the religious sects and how they're responding to what, as we mentioned in the previous episode, seemed like the end of the world. Yeah. I think a real, I think a real challenge for, for, those, for those of us who want to follow the Lamb and, and are attracted to this sort of radical vision of living into the kingdom of God now, I think a real challenge for us is... Um, discerning how we can be radically, uh, as, as someone said to me recently, radically sold out for Jesus. Um, <laughs> how we can be, ra- you know, radically living into Jesus' invitation for us, which is the cross and which is countercultural, um, and be engaged with 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 our our moment in history, uh, which is deeply political and economic. How we can be engaged with these things as followers of Jesus and as members of a gathered community, the church. How can we do it following Jesus and not merely as adherents of a secular ideology? And that's not to say, like, I'm, you know, I think we all have our favorite secular ideologies. There, there, are, some, there are some pretty coherent and, and good ideologies out there. 
But at the end of the day, every from you know for for those of us who are Christians, uh, we discover that at the end of the day, every ideology falls short, um, and 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 is not and and can't can't account for the complexity and mystery and joy of human life uh, and life in this creation. So, what does it look like for us to uh, be participating in this historical moment um, and probably participating with some folks? Uh, following certain secular ideologies too, without letting that become our center, but instead always calling calling ourselves and others back to following Jesus. I think we're doing that thing again where you come up with the queries in the middle of the of the episode instead of at the end. <laughs> well, you want you want to take a stab at, at answering that one? No, I, I I wanted to engage a little bit more with what was in the book. Okay. Well, what, what's next? <laughs> well, um, we haven't really talked about the use of the word war in there, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which, of course, is something that for a lot of Quakers today is a very uncomfortable word on account of that whole, we really like peace. Thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's important, I think, that we point out that when we're talking about the Lamb's War, we're talking about a spiritual war. And so, like, you know, the book points out that the primary battleground is inside of a person. It's the, um, Robert Barclay would write about the the seed of the serpent and the seed of Christ. Mm -hmm. Or I've heard before uh, a parable with two wolves in which wolf wins the one you feed Mm. and and that sort of thing. Um, And so, like, in the book, it, it talks about, the inward enemy being that within you that leans toward disobedience to God or, you know, leans away from God's will. Mm -hmm. And so, um, which I think probably somewhere in the Bible refers to as the old man. And I know Elias Hicks loved to refer to the old man Mm -hmm. and, you know, crucify the old man. And and Quakers have some very strong born-again stuff in there when when you're actually paying attention mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I, I i think there's a real challenge in there um you you talked about you know this is a spiritual warfare mm-hmm. um the lamb's war is not is not um and and took quakers a little while to figure this out many quakers were involved in insurrectionist military activity in the very early years um, so, like, Quake, it took Quakers a little bit to, like, fully figure this out. Right, like our peace declaration is 1660, but Quakers started getting started in the late 1640s, early 1650s. So right. they went about a decade there before they actually got around to, oh, and by the way, we don't do the war with the weapons stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, they certainly were leaning that direction, but they, but, but there was a little bit of squishiness. Um, but, but I think, I think the real challenge is, is, in, is realizing this is spiritual warfare, and when I think about, like, I mean, I think about our present, our present political situation and social situation and economic situation, and I think about, like, there are people in positions of leadership in our country that I want to hate. Like, I want to hate them as people, right? Like, I really, really dislike a few of these people, and, like, if I'm not careful, I wish them ill. Uh, and the invitation of the Lamb's War is to make war on hatred, is to make war on injustice, is to make war on structural oppression and on individual brokenness precisely because we love the people and the, the, the people and communities and nations and ecosystems that are oppressed by these things, including the people that we are tempted to hate. And I think there's also um, thinking about, like, love and people doing wrong, it's really easy to 
feel like if somebody's telling you that you need to love somebody who's doing wrong, that they're telling you not to correct them. Right. But any parent knows that if you love your kid, you correct your kid. Like you tell them, do not put your hand on the hot stove. You are going to get burned. Mm -hmm. Things like that. But yeah, absolutely. And, and so I, I mean, for, for me, it's an invitation to consider like, and it's so hard. I mean, Y'all, y'all probably know who I'm talking about when I say there's some public figures I just hate. Like, I, I want to hate them, right? Um, like, like it's hard. It's Michael, hard. It's, pray for those who persecute well, that's you. What I'm, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. It's hard for me to hear their voices without reacting towards them, right? And But the invitation is, how can I love them? How can I love them enough to pray for their transformation? Um, and how can, I, how can I be honest enough with myself to recognize that, there, there is a tendency in me to behave in the same way that I see these people behaving, right? Like, I am not so different. It is not like I'm a different species of person from these people that I am tempted to hate. We are the same humanity, and, and we've, been, we've, been, we've been captured by evil. We've been captured by darkness. And how, what is the way to liberation from that? And, and exactly as Mackenzie says, it's not, it's not, the way to liberation is not to back down and say, well, I guess it's okay that they're acting this way. I guess it's okay that they're separating children from their families. I guess it's okay that they're killing black and brown people in the streets every day. I guess that's all okay because, after all, they're children of God too. That is not the answer. But the answer is also not to want the destruction of any person. The way of Christ is to want the salvation of all. Uh, the book goes on to talk about the kingdom for which we struggle, and it refers to Jesus when he's answering Pontius Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest, but now my kingdom's coming from another place. And, you know, there are certainly other spots um, in scripture where it talks about, you know, come out from among them and be separate because, you know, we're, we're a different kingdom. Um, and for a little while there, Quakers did have this tendency to go and create their own towns away from everybody else with their own schools and have nothing to do with anybody who wasn't a Quaker. Mm-hmm. Um, Most of our history. Yeah. The majority still at this point. Like a couple of hundred years. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if we, you know, we absolutely can work for God's kingdom, even in the midst of everybody else. Right. If we're doing the right things. And so like Jesus says that, um, only those who do the will of the Father who is in heaven will go to heaven. When he's saying that, and that the, far, the beginning of that sentence starts out with, um, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter heaven. So, like, just saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm on team Jesus isn't enough. You actually have to be engaged in doing the things that God wants you to do. Um, I also really like one of the other lines that the book pulls out, which is, from First uh, Corinthians thirteen, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but have not love, then I am nothing. Right. Uh, and I, I guess you know what you're saying about not not hating people. That's you know, focusing on the love part. Um, the book continues on pointing out, and this goes with what Mike was saying, that the enemy is not these individual humans. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the powers and principalities is the term that's off, is how it's often translated from the Bible. Um, but as Mike pointed out, also systems mm-hmm. of injustice and oppression. So I think it's, it can be really easy to feel like, well, if I'm not participating 
in a particular flavor of oppression, then my hands are clean. But really, if we're, if we're participating in the lamb's war on the side of the lamb, then we actually do have to be working on bringing down those forms of the you other know, systems of oppression and injustice. And that's something people are far less willing to do. I think, I think something key for me is realizing that um, we, do have, we do have choices in life. Right, there are choices. We, uh, you know, Quakers, Quakers believe that we have free will and we can choose good or we can choose evil. So we have choices. But for me, something that's been critical is the realization that if I am put in the same situation as someone else that I see doing evil, it's likely that I too would have a tendency to do that kind of evil. If that makes sense. So I mean, okay. if uh, so, for example, uh, if if I was elected a, a, a council member for DC, right? Like I'm not a council member for DC. I don't. I'm not in that situation. Mm-hmm. And, and I look at council members of DC. I'm like, well, why have they sold out on this? And why don't they care about that? And why don't they do this? Or why do they do that? Right? And I may have a legitimate critique, but I also have to take into account. Not to excuse it, something that I see is wrong, but I have to take into account that were I in their situation, I am capable of doing the things that they are doing. Mm-hmm. I, I, in their situation, am capable of acting the way that they're acting. Um, and so it's, it's, not, it's not like just because I'm not in a position to, to do things they're doing doesn't make my – doesn't make as McKinney says, doesn't make my hands clean and doesn't make me a necessarily a better person. Um, and – I guess it's always wise, I think, to appreciate that, like, different people, you know, just the same way. Like, so I think I think for more conservative people, uh, I'm going to get more of a hearing by saying, like, people in positions of power have special pressures on them that we have to take into account. Whereas liberals are going to be like, no, that doesn't even matter. They're, they're, they're people of privilege, right? On the other hand, I think liberals are going to be more sympathetic and conservatives less sympathetic with me saying – well, look, this person who this person who murdered someone in gang violence, like, look at their upbringing, look at all the challenges they were facing, and like, it was very difficult for them. They, you know, they were addicted to drugs or whatever, and like, these are mitigating circumstances, right? And they're like, no, but you have you have to make a choice. In all cases, we are all in our particular situations. We all have special challenges, and I think it is good for us as followers of Jesus to recognize that. Um, what, what's what's that popular phrase I've heard? Like, everyone you meet is going through a, a great struggle or something like that. Like we, all of us, all of us uh, are in a particularly difficult situation. All of us are facing unique challenges. And I think this is one of the reasons why, why, uh, you know, Jesus teaches us not to judge. Um, and that doesn't mean, again, that doesn't mean not to hold accountable. It doesn't mean to not speak for truth, but not to judge means not to condemn. And I think one of the reasons Jesus teaches us not to condemn is because given similar circumstances, most of us would end up where most of us end up. And thinking of uh, a specific example from Quaker history with, with this dealing with personal action and systems and things like that would be the system of slavery in the U.S., right? And right. some Quakers were content to say, well, I don't own slaves. I'm fine. And some Quakers said, no, but, but this system needs to be broken down. And they saw that as part of the Lamb's War was ending this oppression that was perpetrated across an entire race of people in the U.S. And that was a big source of contention mm-hmm. among Quakers was um, 
whether it was enough to be yourself pure or whether you needed to be part of the, the bigger fight. Or in 20th century, you know, world history, you have the whole um, fight against fascism in Europe, right? With um, some people were not members of whichever party, whether you're talking about Germany or Italy, but they, uh, they weren't directly participating. They were just keeping their heads down. And now we see them as culpable, as having been on the side of evil because they tried to be neutral. Um, and I think when you're looking at the Lamb's War, you're looking at having to include that in there, that if you're not fighting for justice and for ending oppression and for the things that the Lamb is for, then you are tacitly on the other side. Well, and I mean, you know, it brings back to something I think we were discussing at the beginning of the last, or during the last episode, which is, you know, we said, wonder what was up with the church at Laodicea, where they were neither mm-hmm. hot nor cold. Maybe that's where, you know, most people end up uh, in, 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 in life in general, is neither hot nor cold, not actively being, not in any particular situation, not actively being an oppressor, but not standing up for justice either. Mm-hmm. And if that's what Jesus meant by the neither hot nor cold, then Jesus clearly had no tolerance for that, has right. no tolerance for that. And actually, this is kind of making me think of um, the testimony and testimonies mm-hmm. episode that, we, that we've that we already done, um, because I'm pretty sure that in there I said that sometimes people's testimonies sound a little bit funny when you're going, when they're saying, I was a terrible person before, and you're going, okay, but the thing that you say made you terrible doesn't actually sound that bad. But if you're considering, you know, neutrality about oppression as something that is almost everyone, really, when when it comes down to actually having to do something, most people fall into that category, mm-hmm. then, then compared to others, you're not that bad, but that is on a grand scheme, bad. And I mean, you know, it's tricky too, because a, a danger here, right? As we, as we, as we go, as we go theologically where we are discussing, a danger is to start judging ourselves and measuring ourselves and trying to determine like when we have reached a certain level of saintliness <laughs> and then like getting trapped in our own judgments about ourselves, whether positive or negative. Right. And that's not helpful either. And just realizing that like, uh, you know, we're not called to die on every cross. Uh, we have, we have different callings. And we different... each have our cross, but we don't have everybody's crosses. That's correct. And so we we each have our own our own callings and our own gifts from God uh, and our own purpose in life. Um, and you know, I think a lot of us now are being called to mobilize and get in the streets and make some noise. But I know, like for me, um, maybe I'm not being faithful enough, but I also know that I, I have young children at home and I'm in a new and demanding career and I'm trying to support my family. And I just can't, I can't make it out to protests like I want to. And so, like, I, I'm praying for the folks who are making it out to protests. Well, there's plenty of people, like, I mean, if you're disabled, then getting out to protest is often not physically a possibility. Right. So I guess, I guess just being... We all, we all have our ways of participating. Yeah. And just, just being mindful of that, that, uh, you know, in the Lambs War, there are different roles. Just like just like in, in a, an army of this world, you know, you have, you have uh, people with weapons on the front line, and then you've got, you've got support, you've got scouts, you've got support personnel, you've got, you've got logistics people, you've got all sorts of stuff. Medics. You've got medics. 
Um, and in the Lambs world, we have that too. And not everyone has the same role. And I think it's really important for us to be conscious of our own sort of tendency towards, towards spiritual elitism and, and, and self-righteousness uh, and not, not judge others and not judge ourselves, but instead be encouraging everyone uh, towards uh, greater faithfulness. I think the idea of taking it one day at a time helps here because rather than trying to think about, you know, did I do enough? Just what's the next thing for me to do? Right. Well, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's an insight from software development, right? Is it? Just do the next thing. Don't try to, don't think about <laughs> the entire project. Oh, <laughs> okay. And as far as, well, but, and as far as that idea of the, um, just doing the next thing right, like there's an idea among friends of spiritual perfection as not being necessarily a thing. That is, you hit it and then you're good forever. It's, it's you can enter, you can, you can be being perfect for a bit and maybe you screw up and, and stop for a while, but you can get back there again. You can find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org, as Quaker Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, and on iTunes. Thank you.